Well, good morning, and uh, this is part three of our series, Sermon on the Mountains. Of course, spoken by Jesus on a hill by the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And of course, I think it was more of a hill than it was a mountain. In fact, you might say that this was a mountain of a sermon. Uh, Three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're camping in chapter 5 at the moment. Before we do, look, allow me to introduce myself. I've met a few new people already this morning here. It's great to have you here. And if you've been journeying us with us for nearly 12 months or so, and uh, of course, with all that's unfolded this last 12 months in the life uh, of of our world, um, I'd love to connect with you personally after this morning's service, just in the Hope Lounge, which is just outside the auditorium door here. It's that room just to the left there. And uh, we've called this live chat. And uh, I just would love 20 minutes of your time to talk about our past, our present, and our future. That'll take me 10 minutes. And then I'd love to open the floor for some questions uh, about the church and uh, about what we get up to and why we do what we do here. And so if you're new, say, in the last 12 months or so, I would love, bring children. Children are more than welcome. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, have a good uh, time together. It's 20 minutes straight after the service. I've got an update also just quickly for you in regards to our miracle missions offering. I told you that at the end of last year. And we have landed on this. This particular figure when it comes to our miracle missions offering. There it is. There we go. Our target, as many of you would know, was $30,000. So we've just fallen just short. But I just think that is an outstanding effort considering the world and all that we've been through. And I want to reassure you on behalf of the elders and the ministry team here at Door of Hope that every single cent will go to projects locally, nationally, and internationally for what we are a part of here at Door of Hope. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you are doing amongst us. Speak to us, we pray right now, in a way only that you can. Turn our hearts and our attention, our ears, everything towards you to experience the fullness of which you would have for us each. Speak through me right now to the glory of your name, I pray. Amen. And amen. Well, if you have your smartphones, Bibles, smart devices, and all that kind of thing, feel free to grab that out. A lot of this will be on the screen. We welcome those who are participating online this morning or those who are beaming in uh, on demand. It's great to welcome you here with us on this journey because just a quick reminder as we go back to week one when Tony came and opened this series for us and she said that this was not a list Uh, of requirements for salvation. Do you remember that? This is not a list of requirements for salvation because this is a gift. That's a gift that's been freely given to us. This is a picture, she she said, yeah? This is a picture of what Jesus is describing of a mature follower, someone in whom we might aspire to be. And last week, Danny, uh, we talked about, he talked about uh, who is blessed? Am I in? You remember that? Am I in or am I out? And it's not necessarily the law keepers or the doers, but those with the right heart. And he challenged us. Remember, he challenged us to live this out, this idea of the kingdom being here and now, to live this out. And so today, Jesus goes from what this person is like to the kind of influence in whom, in what they are going to have in the world. Let me read from verse 13. This is Matthew chapter 5, a very well-known passage of Scripture. Jesus, once again, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the text we're going to take apart this morning. So hang in there. We're going for a little ride here this morning because if that's true, if that is true in what Jesus is saying, then that means the potential and power that we hold as his followers for the greater good of the world in which we live is absolutely extraordinary. I don't know if you've ever watched a a movie trailer and it's had an impact on you and you thought, I've got to write that down. I want to go and I want to see this movie at some stage. Well, uh, that happened to me a number of years ago and I've never forgotten this particular movie. It's called We Are Marshall. And um, uh, it had that impact on me so much that I wrote down, I don't think, in fact, I've ever seen this movie. It, it, was, it was made in 2006, and it was starring Matthew McConaughey. But I'd never forgotten this trailer. It's based in 1970, uh, about a plane crash of an entire Marshall University football team who died in this crash, along with its coaching staff and its support crew. And because of this crash and the devastation that unfolded on this day, the program, the university football team program, was going to be shut down. But there was a group of people that in spite of what it was going to cost and how silly that they were going to look, that they wanted this program to live on. And so they hire this new coach, Matthew McConaughey. And he comes up with this line in the movie that says, we're going to rise from the ashes. We're going to rise from the ashes. And at the end of this trailer, there are people who are coming from every direction, it seems, to form this massive gathering outside of where discussions are being had about their future. And they're yelling at the top of their lungs, we are Marshall. We are Marshall. Check this out. Dan, I'd like to suggest this morning, by the end of the message, that we could stand to our feet and uh, stand to our feet, and we could say, "We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world." You with me? We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let's talk about these two things. Salt of the earth. What did Jesus mean 2,000 years ago as we take our hearts and minds back to that place and that time in history as Jesus was speaking into 2,000 years ago was primarily used salt, by the way, to stop decay. Um, These, of course, were the days before freezers and fridges and uh, that they would take their meal, their meat, and they would salt it because salt stops decay. When his listeners heard, uh, they were overwhelmed, I think, first of all, by this compliment, but also this incredible, challenging statement. Because salt, in the culture at the time, was a pretty big deal. Salt was a very precious item. It was how you preserved things. And immediately in their minds, the minds of the listeners, they thought about the meat from which they preserved to eat and in preparation for their family. 
And so if we are, if we are the salt of the earth according to what Jesus is speaking over us, we should preserve things that are meaningful. We should preserve values, things that are valuable to our world, to our family, and to our culture. God's standards on earth. We should preserve character in our culture. We should preserve truth in our culture. We should preserve justice in our culture. We should preserve hope in our culture. We should preserve joy in our culture. And so for Jesus to say that you are the salt of the earth, he's implying that the world is decaying. That our values need preserving. He wouldn't just say that, but he would say you are the light of the world, which is implying that the world is in fact dark. So the world is decaying and the world is dark. Well, Jesus, simply just tell us what you're really thinking. But here's our influence on the decaying dark world in which we live. What is it? Those two things. It is salt and light. Now, there's something else about salt. In fact, salt adds flavor. Oh, come on, help me out here this morning. Salt sometimes makes everything, come on, help me out here. It makes, make, makes everything taste better. Yeah, come on. Where are my salt people this morning? Come on. Fantastic. Sometimes food is a little bit dull. Come on. Sometimes food is a little bit tasteless, but you sprinkle a little bit of salt and it makes everything pretty much immediately taste better. And as followers, Jesus is saying, we ought to make life better. We ought to make experiences better. We ought to make our neighborhoods and communities better. We ought to make our relationships better. Our classroom, better. Our boardroom, better. Our business, better. Because we are the salt of the earth and salt adds flavor. Not only does it add flavor, guess this TV show for the vintage of my age and older. Come on, my vintage and older. Cheers. Absolutely. A TV show. The first episode went live. There it is in 19, wait for it, 1982 and finished up in 1993. Some of you would know that more than others, but the story, long story cut short here this morning, is about a group of people from different parts of life who meet at Cheers, which is a bar, and they share their experience of life while working and drinking at this bar. Now, if you're observant enough, you would notice that on the bar each and every time were free snacks. What were they? They were pretzels, peanuts, and chips. High, by the way, high in salt content. Why? Second thing is this, because salt creates thirst. You eat enough of these suckers, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm thirsty. 
And let's think about this spiritually for a moment, if we could, because this is what thirst does. Well, this world, in fact, lives in spiritual dehydration. You see, when Jesus says we are the salt of the earth, we should create thirst on earth. What do I mean by that? We should create that sense of godliness, that sense of righteousness, what is right. And Jesus said, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. And I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is that if we are salt, if we are salt, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to create a thirst, but also if we are light, we are to lead people out of the darkness. Help me once again here this morning. As I was growing up in my home, when I lived with my parents, we had this cabinet. And this particular cabinet was only opened for special occasions. Only opened for special occasions. I have one person who's with me on this morning. This was only, this cabinet was only open. I know this is hard to believe. This cabinet was only opened for when guests came over. For me, it was right in the front door on the left-hand side. It was kind of, whoa. It was, it was like a museum <laughs> that's kind of sat in the corner. It's filled with special plates. Come on, some of you have these cabinets today. Come on, I know you, I know you. You have special plates, you have special cutlery, vases and salt and pepper shakers that only come out when guests are coming over. But ultimately, ultimately, as I reflect on this cabinet that we had in my household, these items would never fulfill their purpose because they hardly ever, if ever, came out of the cabinet. Come on, help me out. I don't think mine was only family, right? <laughs> Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if we don't leave the salt shaker, guess what? We're never going to fulfill our purpose. We're never going to fulfill the mission that he has in place for us. You see, the church was never a place that we go to. It was always a people we be. That we are a people, not a place. And this unfolded for us last year. That the church, the building, a lot of the site may have been shut down, but the church was still well and truly alive. Let's get into the second metaphor, and that is that of light. We did try lighting that before, but the candle, <laughs> well, feel free if you want to, feel free. But uh, it's, it's not lit there at the moment, so uh, feel free. But this one is, this one is, so that's why we've got two. <laughs> Let's go to this light, because there comes with this a short paragraph that explores three different images that illustrate light impacting darkness. A town on a hill, an oil lamp, and a light. A town on a hill where, uh, whose lights are visible in the dark, the oil lamp which gives light in a dark room, and the light as a metaphor for good deeds. Lights, see if you can light this while we were watching... <laughs> oh, oh, the wax is gone. So the town on a hill whose lights are visible in the dark. Got it? No? <laughs> oh, there we go. The oil lamp, which gives light in a dark room, and light as a metaphor for good deeds. Lights are designed to shine. <laughs> there we go. And not to be hidden. Verse 14, 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither 
do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? Um, some translations say basket. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see the good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Hands up, have you ever been woken in a dark room by a very bright light? I had a late meeting on Monday night. It was here. And I was trying to have like five or ten minute bit of a sleep in. But sure enough, I was in a very dark room. If you're like me, my whole room has to be dark. I've even gone to the length of getting a pelmet. Anyone know what a pelmet is? Yeah, in our room because I need darkness. I need darkness. And sure enough, one of the family members, which will remain nameless, came in. Whoo, that light, boom. Came in and woke me up. It was offensive to the eye. And light pushes back the darkness, doesn't it? Ever been to an optometrist and they tell you to sit on that chin rest thing and your head there and, you know, yeah, we've got to... And they turn the lights off in the room and they pre-warn you about this big boom that's about to come in your eyes and all of a sudden, boom, this light comes in your eye and you're trying to recover for the rest of the day. (laughs) What about you driving along at night time and somebody accidentally has their lights on full high beam. It's offensive to the eye. By the way, I thought this was interesting, that in the Bible, in the Bible, light is connected to knowledge, truth, and love. In fact, it wasn't uncommon in the Jewish world to use the word light for people who passed on the light of God to others. You see, Jesus didn't say, we're lights in the world. No, no, no. Jesus said clearly that you are the light of the world. In the world, that's a whole other light. You see, Jesus was in fact assuming a world of people who were tuned out spiritually to the great plan that he had for their lives. And he was assuming that his followers were tuned in to that plan to be the illuminators of his great plan for the world and that they would see light and that they would see life because of you. You see, one of the greatest things, let's just be honest for a moment, could we? Because one of the greatest issues we have is that we've become so desensitized to the darkness by which we live. Things we used to blush to or at have become so common. Let's talk about that just for a moment. Language. Blasphemy. Um, TV shows. uh, Netflix. um, Things we read. Things we watch. Even see on the evening news that just are just... We've become desensitized. And when Jesus said that you are the light of the world, he's saying, as my followers, you, um, it's only, you are the only light of the world. You are, meaning right now, you are the light of the world right now. You see, the word light in the Greek is phos, P-H-O-S. It's where we get our word photo or photograph. Jesus is saying, 
You are the photograph of me to this dark world. And so followers of him, followers of Jesus, are supposed to be a clear picture of who Jesus is. Who remembers, hands up, this? The Polaroid. Who remembers the Polaroid? Who still has a Polaroid? <laughs> the Polaroid camera is a funny looking camera, isn't it? With those things, you take the photo and immediately it came out. It came out generally at the bottom there and uh, you waited to, you're breathing on it, you stayed, waited to, for it to develop and it was a little bit fuzzy and a little bit weird. And uh, anyway, I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder that if we are like a fuzzy picture of Jesus too our world. Are we a little out of focus? When people look to us, they're supposed to see, they're supposed to see that crystal clear picture. But sometimes we might be a little bit fuzzy and we're not fully developed yet. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. What does light do? Well, light does a number of things, but just quickly, two things. It reveals truth and exposes darkness. Light reveals truth. Those things that we've become desensitized to, maybe, maybe it's calling us to action. Uh, it also exposes the darkness. The way we know if we're being a crystal clear picture of Jesus are those two things. You might remember in John chapter 8, verse 12, by the way, Jesus says about himself, I am the light of the world. But all of a sudden, here he's saying, you are the light of the world. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. You see, Jesus is like the sun, S-U-N. Jesus is like the sun, and we're like the moon. And if you're not familiar with this at all, because the moon reflects the light of the sun that doesn't have its own light. The only time that the moon doesn't reflect the light of the sun is during an eclipse, during an eclipse. That's when the earth gets in between the sun and moon and it keeps from reflecting the light. Maybe. I would like to pray for you just in a moment. There's going to be prayer opportunity down the end here at the end of our service this morning. Maybe for some of us here this morning, those who are participating online, who are experiencing this morning a spiritual eclipse that you've allowed the world to get in between you and Jesus. Something has caused an eclipse to take place in your walk. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. The word hidden in the Greek is krypta, which simply means secret or hidden. And of course, the context of the Sermon on the Mount from which Jesus is teaching on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, and in the distance, there's this town or this city. And when Jesus was teaching, this is what he was pointing to at the time, that he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor or neither, nor, and this word, by the way, is used to introduce a further negative truth, nor, he goes on and say, says, do, do, or, nor they do light a lamp and put it under a bowl or a basket and so what he's doing here is just he's gently speaking to undercover Christians those who hide the light that I've got a light but it's hidden under the bowl I don't want to offend anyone I don't want to cross those boundaries 
It's a big, dark world out there that we are meant to be the light of. And Jesus is saying we don't need Christians who are in their heart but unchristian behind a keyboard. Or unchristian at work or at school or with certain friends. You see, Jesus is saying, what's the purpose of you, first of all, having a light to then cover it up? Nor, neither, nor do they light a lamp but put it under a bowl, Jesus says. And of course, there are many reasons why people cover their light up that act as a bowl. Those things that act as bowls in our lives. Fear. Unconfessed sin. Um, laziness. Certain behaviours. Conflict. These kind of things act as a bowl in our lives. But Jesus would say, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Let's just press pause there for a moment because is Jesus saying, is Jesus saying, because if not, I'm saying it for him <laughs> this morning, that his light, first of all, needs to be seen by those that are in the house. Those in whom we do life intimately with. The first group of people who need to see that light are those within whom we do life intimately alongside within the house. You see, the home, the home is the testing ground. It's so easy, isn't it, to go to connect group or come to a place like this and we've got those smiles on, yet we're a grump at home. Hmm. Hmm. Have a read, have a discussion about that. That's your little homework assignment this week. Um, so feel free to do that. Let's keep moving. Let your light, let, the word let being a verb, let your light shine before others. It means to not prevent or forbid, but to allow beyond the four walls of the church. Let it be seen. Let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Why? Because that they may see, first of all, press pause, they may, that they may see what? That they may see Jesus, absolutely. That they may see your good deeds. The word good in the Greek is kalos, which means attractive or beautiful appearance. Why do they need to see our good deeds? Because they can't see our faith. Hmm. You see, when we drive to maybe after this to the seaport or we go through the mall during the week or at a restaurant or a cafe or we're just walking by in life, we don't necessarily know who has faith. You can't see it because faith is internal. Paul would write to the church in Ephesus in chapter 3, he would say, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. But they can see our deeds which are eternal. You see, Jesus would say, when they see your good deeds, good deeds when they hear of your encouraging words, when they see your written comments, when you have that trustworthy character and nature, when 
and how you treat the outcast. When you go above and beyond what is expected of you, when your light shines, Jesus said, when they see your good deeds, they will what? They will glorify your Father in heaven. The word glorify, by the way, in the Greek is doxozo. Doxozo. It's where we get our English word, doxology, which means to honor or to make glorious. And I guess just as we come into landing here this morning, I want to say this. We want to do things just like Jesus did in such a way, in such a way that when people see our good deeds, that they will give and bring a beautiful doxology of our Father who art in heaven. What does that look like? It's a great question. Hopefully, hopefully, it would mean encounters with us will create thirst for God. What does this require? Once again, you're asking some great questions this morning. Because here's the heart of it. As we think about this, there is literally millions, millions, I'm going to say billions of people who are sitting in darkness. Who need to see the light and have that clear, crystal picture of who Jesus is. This is what it requires of us. It requires we go into places where light must shine and into situations that need light. It requires we go into places where light must shine and into situations that need light. I'm not looking for more light. I'm already the light of the world. I'm not looking for more light. Yes, be encouraged by certain things and build your faith in that. In front of our examiner a couple of weeks back, some a good mate. Last nine months or so during shutdowns, he was in and out of intensive care so many times. And attended his funeral just a couple of weeks ago. Incredible celebration of his life. Known him for 20 years. Gone. Wife, two children, gone. From this life into the next. And maybe you've been sitting here this morning and saying this, Steve, if you had any idea just how much darkness is in my life, I'd like to every time you think of that is to think of my buddy. Because we can only stay in intensive care for so long. I don't know if you've been in intensive care. I have a number of times in my ministry journey praying for people, believing for people. And my mate didn't want to stay in intensive care. We wanted to get out of there. It's quite dark, it's quite cold, there's lots of noises and sounds, it's quiet. It's a mixture, mixed bag of all kinds of things going on in intensive care. You do not want to stay in intensive care for long. Get out of there. Only reason you're in intensive care is to try to keep you alive. If you've got darkness in your life, welcome to the party. We all do. 
But if yours is serious enough this morning to be dealt with, I encourage you at the end of the service to come to be prayed for. I'm not looking for more light. I am the light. And humanity, guess what, is waiting on us. And God is counting us on us to be the salt and the light. And as we leave the salt shaker, may we preserve value. May we create thirst. May we make impact. And may we turn the light on so that the darkness be pushed back for his glory. And in the spirit of we are martial, please stand to your feet as we sing our final song this morning and say this with me that we are the salt of the earth that we are the light of the world say it again we are the salt of the earth we are the light of the world say it one more time we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world to God be the glory in Jesus name